Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, usually coming to you from the Judean mountains, but today I am in Jerusalem, the undivided capital of the Jewish people. I like to refer to this as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, any time. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end, where we're also going to share an exciting opportunity, and please feel free to share this program with others who you know will also find it of interest. So I don't usually get to record my podcasts in Jerusalem, and in fairness, I usually get to record them by Zoom with people remotely in all parts of the world. Today I'm in Jerusalem at the Dan Panorama Hotel, and actually I'm getting emotional thinking about it, because this is really consequential. I'm with one, two, three, four, five pastors from all around the United States. We're going to get to know them and why they're here. They're oh, and Canada, excuse me. All right, good. Uh, and and they're part of a, a solidarity trip that's been organized by Eagles Wings with my good friend, Bishop Robert Stearns. And I'm just so grateful that you all just arrived yesterday. We're here having a conversation on the end of your first full day, and you're really only here in Israel for 72 hours. So what I'd like to do since in most cases we've just met, in all cases we've just met for the first time in person, is just to go around the table and have each of you introduce yourselves, who you are, where you're from, and that you're ta and talk about your church or anything else so people who are hearing your voice on the other end of this get to know. We'll start on my left. Wonderful. My name is Michael Wood. I'm part of a ministry called The Ramp that is based in Hamilton, Alabama. It focuses on awakening young people to the reality of God and getting them connected in a vibrant lifestyle of discipleship, but I now live in Manchester, UK, because we have a location there, and so I've been there for 15 months, and I uh, have a great relation with Robert Stearns, and through that relationship, my heart toward Israel completely shifted from where it was five, six years ago, and so I'm um, just honored to be here in Israel during war, and to stay in solidarity. Well, we're grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, thank you so much. My name is Cameron Bryce. I'm from Fayetteville, North Carolina. I pastor a church called Heaven Love Church um, that was planted by my family over 33 years ago. And um, just over the last year, I've been able to engage with what I feel or believe is the heart of God for Israel. And I'm just glad to be here and sick and celebrating. We're grateful. Thank you. My name is Sean Gaby, and I'm from the nation's capital, Canada, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And uh, so great to be here with you. And uh, I have four kids, and uh, we have a ministry uh, called Kingdom Culture, as well as a local church. Uh, I've had the privilege of traveling around the world for two decades. And uh, we have an online school called the Supernatural Leadership School, and you can check it out at supernaturalleadership.com and podcast. We work with ministry leaders and marketplace leaders to bring the supernatural into our everyday environment. So. I'm excited to be here with you on this podcast and 
forward to see what comes out of it. Yeah, we're, I'm grateful also. And also we discussed just before recording that you and I have something in common by both being host on the Charisma Podcast. And that's true. You still don't have the distinction of being the only Orthodox Jewish host. They don't. But now I have the privilege of being on the old. Ooh, learn that, that on, the, on your LinkedIn profile. I'm Juan Rivera. I'm from Youngstown, Ohio. Youngstown is home to the best, smallest Jewish federation in the entire United States. And uh, and so I'm, a, I'm the husband of one wife. Her name is Deidre. She and I co-pastor a church called Victory Church in Youngstown. We have three beautiful daughters, Denise, Olivia, and our youngest is Hadessa. And, uh, which by the way, she just got her braces off the oh, nine year old. And she sent me a beautiful smile, beautiful picture. Uh, but besides pastoring the church, um, I get to serve on the executive board of the national Hispanic Christian leadership conference. In essence, the Hispanic evangelical association, uh, served there with, uh, the Reverend Sam Rodriguez and, uh, and I'm leading a subsidiary of that organization, the Hispanic Israel leadership coalition, right? Uh, where we wanting to build the greatest firewall against anti-Semitism that the world has ever seen by raising up the Hispanic evangelical movement uh, to be such. So glad to be here in Jerusalem. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. We're glad you're here. I am uh, B. Dwayne Harden. I'm from, I live in Atlanta. I'm from Youngstown, Ohio. He's kind of hijacked my city. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> no, he's, a, he's in a great church, but I have a church in Atlanta, uh, called the embassy and we call it the embassy atl i actually don't like to use the term church as much as community okay. and uh, or and or assembly um because um we have kind of transitioned pretty much on i think my last visit here it's when i really made a transition as to things that were in my heart we went back to sabbath or shabbat um we celebrate the feast I am not a big uh, Christmas and everything holiday kind of a person. I'm more on on the feast and understanding the significance of those. So our community is, and it's a unique community because we are, I grew up Pentecostal uh, slash apostolic. I'm one of those, one of those guys, the speaking and telling going crazy guy. But um, I, I have a uniqueness about it because we still carry on some of our culture if you will but um more aware and more significantly or intentionally is what the word is the word i want to use intentionally uh paying attention to those details and i find that those details really make a difference um whether you be mm. um as as a believer um those that sabbath that shabbat is something significant about that we see a lot of significant things happen miracles and a lot of families are doing better because they take the rest day um we worship on that day kids our kids are performing at high levels i know you didn't ask me all of that but anyhow um that's what i do and i call it the embassy because we want it to it to be a safe place for all people no matter what people black white hispanic um jew uh, Gentile, um, uh, Muslim, Hindu. We want it to be a safe place where we introduce. Lovely. Yeah. What, what a great vision. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. Um, gentlemen, new friends, thank you for being here. Um, be, because you just mentioned Shabbat, 
on October 7th, when all this war broke out, we were completely offline in my home. We didn't know what was going on until 8, 30, 9 o'clock when the first air raid siren in my community, about 40 miles east of Gaza, went off, jolted us out of bed. We were all still sleeping. And first of I think four times that day that we ended up going to the bomb shelter in our house. Um, for those of you who have teenage sons, you'll know that even with something going on that involves rockets ex literally exploding overhead, um, a teenage son was more concerned about his sleep being interrupted. So since his our, our bomb shelter is my oldest son's bedroom, he, after the second or third uh, air raid siren, went to bed in his brother's bed. So at least if there was another air raid siren, he wouldn't have to be disturbed and could stay in bed. That's that. That was sort of the mundane of, of of how things went on, but I was living in America still on September 11th, and I once we realized, well, my now 25 year old son celebrated his birthday in Gaza last week, um, and is in Uluwet as of I think four or five months since July, so he came into the house at about four o'clock and said, "I have 10 minutes to go, I got to." pack i've got to get changed into my uniform and put together equipment and he told us what he knew was going on as of four o'clock that afternoon but still we hadn't turned on the tv we didn't know i remember september 11th vivid everything about it i can still unpack it and in, and many people have called it not just israel september 11th but the trauma that we're going through none of us are old enough to remember when jfk was shot but those who who, uh, who who are, remember where they were. We remember where we were on September 11th. What do you remember? And we can go in any order. What do you remember from that day? It was already, uh, well, you were. it was nighttime, right? When it was happening there, it was, it was the day before. What do you remember? What, what, what triggered with you when you started hearing about this attack? Jonathan, for me, I, I, I would say, so it was really, it, it just, I, I just remember because I have friends here in it. Yeah. And so I think what stands out to me is, uh, is Sunday morning, driving to church and receiving a phone call from a good friend here in Jerusalem. And he said, Juan, I can't talk real long. I just want to let you know. And he said, my son. And as soon as he said, my son, I was expecting the worst need. And, um, and he just wanted to let me know that his son had been deployed, son-in-law, his daughter, two sons, a daughter and a son-in-law. And um, and he was just calling me to pray. Uh, he's, he's an Orthodox Jew, but I'm on my way to church. And uh, I think we're not 20, it was 24 hours since the attack happened. And just remember getting a phone call from misery. I'll never forget that, that car ride with my wife and that phone call my heart dropped. I remember going into church and and I didn't ask the church to pray in some, you know, just some generic phone call. Let's pray for Israel. Just got a phone call from a friend. Yeah. This is real. These are real people. And um, so I think that's what I remember the most of all that weekend. And as you relate it, it's very emotional. This is not just very. a narrative. Yeah, and it's not you know, and and then texting texting my my our local rabbi, who's a dear friend, rabbi, texting our local uh uh you know she works for the federation, but a dear friend, her and I led a trip here to Israel with fifteen area pastors 
you know, a few years before. These were friends, just just checking in that weekend. You know, I'm yeah. thinking of you. How are you doing? I'm here. Whatever you need. Because although it was Israel getting attacked, uh, you know, Jewish people and those of us who love Israel, we felt it all around the world. We felt the attack on us, and and now we're learning it's it's an attack on the West as well. So, yes, yeah. You want to pick up on that? Where where were you? What? Yeah, very similarly, um, uh, differently, but similarly, I had uh, sent one of our pastors to Jerusalem for the Global Day of Prayer to the people. Oh, yeah. And his life took off at 6 a.m. That day. That day. That morning on the 7th. And so he was in the air when I started uh, seeing news pop up on my phone. And I was unable to contact him. I'm texting him. I didn't know if I couldn't get contact with him because he's on the plane. Had something happened to him. Um, and it was just very surreal to not just have the connection of having been to Israel and then understanding kind of the reality that you all live in. But then it, it I, I felt like I had that deeper connection of there's that fear of once I finally got that text message of, hey, guys, I'm okay. I'm at this place. It was just such a relief, but then automatically as well, just beginning to pray for our friends here in, in Israel. Um, and we, in a, in a similar fashion, just came right into church as a community the next morning and let people know, Hey, this is, this is a, this is a very real, we always stand with Israel, but here's a time for us to double down as a community and to really pray. And experiencing that and watching uh, even all, our community, our church, you know, we're, we're a church of about um, 2,000 people. And to begin to see dots connecting for people. This is why we pray mm. every sun, every Sunday for the peace of Jerusalem. This is why we were, they, it, it, was, it was a much more real connection. That's yeah, very much. You know, um, living in the UK, of course, it's, the news is us that I woke up to. It was something that, um, you know, our time zones are a little closer. So we're kind of getting the information real time. Yeah. And as we did, I think much like probably a lot of Israelis grappling with, is this another uh, skirmish? Is this another just, you know, routine rocket fire? Mod? Routine. Yeah, exactly. Right. Which is terrible. Well, where is this something else? And so throughout the day, the gravity of the situation weighed on. And realizing this is escalating. Then when I saw the words from um, Benjamin Netanyahu that they were, we were, you know, Israel was actually declaring war. The gravity of that settling in and uh, just heartbreaking. So not too long after October seventh, I had already scheduled a meeting with a local rabbi in Manchester, and so we went to coffee. And I just said, you know, how are you? Um, tell me about the experience in your synagogue. He said, well, it was about 500 families in our synagogue. He said, I don't know one person. That's okay, right? He said, every single person either knows someone that's either been injured, killed, or kidnapped. Every single person. And I said, well, what did you say when you got to synagogue Saturday, uh, Saturday morning? What did you say? He said, well, you know, much like you just described it, he said, for Shabbat, all of our phones were off. The news was off. He said, so I got there the, that morning. He said, we have our own security and the security uh, detail. They're not Jewish. And so when I got there, the security guard told me 
something is going on in Israel and it is not good. He said one by one, families started coming in. He said, you know, some of our uh, some of our families, they're not as observant as others. He said, so I slowly began to get the news that things were escalating in Israel. So I got up and I looked at the congregation. I said, something bad's going on right now in Israel. I don't know what it is, but it's not good. And uh, people are in bomb shelters right now. Of course, it was the weekend of Simchat Torah. So he said, I don't know what's happening, but here's what I do know. That they're dancing in bomb shelters right now in Israel because that's what it means to be Jewish. And it was this idea, it was like a modern day fiddler on the roof that Jews have to live in the tension of persecution and joy at the same time. Joy over the gift of Torah and the gift of covenant, but also living under the threat of what it means to be that to the world. And so that picture is just, you know, that conversational moment is really seared into my mind. They're dancing in bomb shelters in Israel, right? Thank you for sharing. It shook me up, and I thought I thought about all of it. <laughs> um, Sean, Dwayne, anything you want to add about that day? I mean, I, I think about that day, and I, would, I remember less about that day and more about what I felt that week. Okay. Because I was absorbed into the information coming from. I'm not a big news fan, especially in the last several years. So I kind of stay away from a lot of the main news outlets, but I was absorbed in gym what was happening yeah. day and out. So much to the point when my family was like, what are you? Right. You never watched the news that I was like blue, just wanting to be up to speed. I felt, I felt the connection, I felt the need. I felt, yeah. and I, I, you know, we believe that God speaks today and I, I lean in what I feel like I'm being pulled towards something. I'm leaning in. And I said to my wife that week, I said, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm supposed to be there. And somehow I'm so I'm supposed to go. I did. There was no, no way people were locked down. Flights were going in and out at this point. It was still so fresh. Five days later, uh, I'm on, a, I'm on a plane going out to this conference and I get a text from Bishop Robert Stern's private invitation to come on this trip. Now, the first one actually got postponed. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was like, I text my wife and I'm like, uh, give her a little preemptive, hey, don't, don't freak out because it's so fresh. But let's pray about this because it actually believes, like, I think this is God. And uh, it just ended up working out. So I, I, I think less about the day for me. I don't remember where I was, to be honest with you, where where I first heard about it, if it was on my phone or whatever. But I just remember what I felt that week, and it was overwhelming. Yeah. And just being here now, I just feel like, wow, like I can't believe, you know, from October 7th to now, sitting in this room in Jerusalem with you, with these guys here, with 11 leaders from around, you know, North America and, and the UK, uh, Standing with Israel during a time that it's just the time where nobody really wants to come in. Yeah. So I feel so so blessed to be here and, and uh, thankful to have conversations like this. With, yeah. You know, I I will say too. I feel a little convicted because you know one introduces wife. I introduce my wife. <laughs> I have I have a wonderful wife named Michelle. We called the last our church together. And she actually she's a black belt jujitsu. Oh, so you would have it even better. And a black belt boxer around the black belt boxer as well. Okay. And, uh, Anyway, so love you, Michelle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> gotta say that. Uh, you gotta, you know. But when I think the sense of we're here on a sign, 
Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, in the natural, my, my wife doesn't want me to come to Israel during a time of war. I don't want to be here during a time of war. There is a sense of assignment. That's what that is. You have to be here. Mm-hmm. And I think, Jonathan, uh, with, with this war, what, what happened October 7th, what it's done, it's added more layers to why I do what I do. For some reason, what October 7th made me realize in the aftermath and everything that's been happening around the world is I believe in God. I have faith in God because the Jewish people exist. Because Israel is a nation. The reason that 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 Hamas and and that spirit, if you will, because it's I mean it's it's this is it's an ancient hatred, whether it was Haman or Hitler yeah. or Hamas. Mm-hmm. It's the same spirit that says we must destroy the Jews. Why? Because of because they are people of covenant. Why why do they hate Jewish people? Because 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 if the Jewish people did not exist, then the Bibles that we all preach in our churches. The Bibles that we've sworn allegiance to, that we believe is the revelatory word of God, if Israel ceases to exist, that book is not true. And their claim, Allah Akbar, is accurate. Not Allah is great, but my God, our God is greater. And so I, I am more convinced now than ever of our assignment while we're here. And um, uh, it's uh, and and quite frankly, that's why there's such. Such there's such strange bedfellows entering this hatred. Why in the world do we have groups like Sex Workers Unions of America and groups that would not survive a day in Gaza standing as a book for Hamas? It's the same spirit. True. We don't. It's not just I don't like the Jew. It's I hate the God who has made a covenant with them for land, for lineage, and for lore. And so you're you're just you're you're a picture of the God that I hate. If I can do away with you, then I can do away with the God. Wow. And so I want to compliment that, and then I want to I'm going to do a quick break, and and that you'll be my uh, what's it called? Oh, like the who who shot Jr. moment. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, I forgot the word. We're going to come back to you in a second, Dwayne. But the compliment to what you just said, and especially because we're sitting here in Jerusalem during Hanukkah. 2,200 years ago, it was a military battle here for people who wanted to destroy us, spiritually, physically. And I'm always the funny Orthodox Jew in the room who says and reminds people, it's not in the Hebrew scripture, anything about Hanukkah. Where's the first notation of that? John 10, right? That Jesus came over here and celebrated Hanukkah, the the Feast of the Dedication, right over here. And that was about 200 years later. And... For them, that was current events still. Yet if we hadn't defeated them 2,200 years ago, there wouldn't have been a Jesus, a Jesus to have been born and celebrate here. Cliffhanger, that's the word. Dwayne, you're my cliffhanger. We're going to take one quick break. I'm hanging. Friends, Israel's at war, and the war may get worse before it gets better. Much worse. It's going to be a long war because the enemy is the epitome of evil. It's not just a matter of overcoming troops on a battlefield, but overcoming a theology, an ideology, an evil one. While the Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation has been overwhelmed with the support of so many donations 
to the Israel emergency campaign, there's so much more that needs to be done. We've invested your donations that we've received so far strategically to make the biggest impact possible, whether helping with soldiers and their equipment and personal needs, to providing civilian security for outlying border communities, to relocating and settling several families from near the Gaza war zone, launching the global petition drive to support Israel in the face of pressure for a ceasefire and long-term needs for at-risk children, traumatized now more than ever before. Please take a moment to pause this conversation right now and go to love.genesis123.co and donate generously. We value your trust and we will keep all donors informed about how and where your donations are being used to contribute to make the biggest impact possible. And when you use that link, love.genesis123.co, you can also send your prayers and words of encouragement to Israelis of all backgrounds, just sending your love, something that we need so desperately. Thank you, and God bless you and your loved ones. Um, Dwayne, you didn't get to chime in on where you were in Atlanta that day and or that week. What went on? What did you What did you see? What did you perceive? Um, well, you know, I shut down Friday night. Oh, yeah, like me. So, um, I kind of do. I got my own little rest things that I do, right? Um, so, get up and go have service ten o'clock in the morning, and um, it's a bang out, great, wonderful service. People are blessed, and then I start getting news. Uh, you know, the day is there. I, I, unlike Sean, I I didn't want to see much news. You know, I got weary of, I, I'm i 57, be 58 in March. So I've gone through a lot of the similar experiences like um, in Black America mm. um, um, that tends to get overlooked because sometimes we overdo it. But... Um, in those times, um, there was a lot of pain, a lot of things going on, you know, just pain after pain. So I've res- I resorted to, I don't want a seat. I want to pray. Mm-hmm. First person I thought of, I don't, I don't know if you know Aviad Amatai. No. Aviad is here. You know Aviad? I said, oh, my friend Aviad. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, you know, um, I need to check on Aviad. The other thing, my godmother, my godmother had just brought 120 other leaders and pastors to to uh, Israel. So I was thinking, man, she just made it out in time. And I'm thinking all these things. And then I go into, uh, but then there's all these other people hurting. And then I thought about, you know, I didn't want to think about Hitler or any of them. I just, I just thought about people. I thought about um, the innocent Palestinian people. I thought about the Jewish people uh, who didn't inflict the war, who didn't uh, do this. And so we started praying. And I told everybody, we have to pray. We have to pray for Israel. We have to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We have to pray for the people. Um, and then the other part is I started praying for glory out of this. We mm-hmm. gone to get glory out of this. Now, what does that look like? Does it look like uh, um, Hamas being totally destroyed and 
you know, there comes a peace agreement or what does it look like? Because for me, being um, a believer in, in Yeshua, um, it's like, well, maybe now many will come and give their life to the Lord, which uh, uh, LaFleur uh, said a lot of Palestinians are now leaving the Palestine, the Palestinian way and coming over to Christianity or, you know, something like that. Those are the things I started praying for, along with praying for the devastation. Because in my mind, uh, the Holocaust is not that long ago. No. It's not that long ago. Um, slavery is not that long ago. And when you start to think like that, the feeling, and, and then people will say, well, get over it. Well, get over it is not that simple. Because you get family and then you have roots and you have lineage and things that you're wanting to build on it come from it and develop and generational development. And so all of those things hit me all at once. Sure. It, I, I think mine was a, was a little bit different. Uh, and then to look at, then when I do look at the news, I hear all of this craziness, you know, the craziness of like, you know, misinformed people. And that is the media, which I call a medium, by uh, which there is wickedness that's developed yeah. in between there. And just to fit a narrative and to keep the ratings, but it, <laughs> it gets people all riled up and fired up. And so my feelings are emotional, but they were also interactive. And I've always been the person who runs to the fight. I've never uh, been the guy that run away from it. And so the minute, uh, I, I then then a couple of days later, I'm I'm seeing. I call Robert Bishop Stearns and I say, "Hey man, how are you?" He's telling me things are crazy, man. I might be in the bunker tomorrow or today, whichever day that was. And he says, um, "Just pray for us." I say, "Where are you?" He says, "I stayed back. I'm still here." Yeah. And Israel now that changes everything. You know, because I'm thinking him, his boys, his, you know, all of that. And so I, I believe God was working and was bringing him out. But at the same time, it, it hit me a little bit different because now I wanted to be here. Sure. I, I, I did. I wanted to be here. I wanted to show up. I didn't care if it was just Robert and not myself or, you know, I, I felt like if my feet touched the ground. I carry something that the ground needed. It's unity, community, however you want to look at it. But I felt like I need you. You all, most of you talked about you and praying your churches and what you did that week or the week ensuing weeks. I love what you just said, Dwayne, about running to the fight mm -hmm. because I, I First of all, I'm I'm making rabid notes here about all the things you're saying because you're inspiring so many other thoughts that I want to talk about. But one of the questions I have, and I've been speaking with a lot of Christian friends, and I'm seeing the phenomena, you can tell me if I'm off base or not, that we're seeing a lot of Christians leaving their churches because the pastors are being neutral, or the pastors are even showing that they don't hear or don't know. And, and, and maybe that's a phenomena of making sure that we're getting enough offerings every week so we don't want to rock the boat. Um, but maybe that's having the boomerang effect and they're 
instead of rocking the boat, they're just losing passengers. So my, my question is, and maybe taking off, Dwayne, on what you said about running to the fight, what do you say to pastors who don't get it, who don't have, okay, maybe don't have the connection that you all have, but are not talking about Israel or not, even if it's, even if it's balanced that we need to also, and I'm glad you said it, pray for the innocent Palestinians, whoever they are. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you say to the pastors? And then I think what it is, I said real quick is this, because very short. If you've ever wondered as a pastor, what you would have done in 1930s, 1940s, you don't have to wonder. Wow. If you're doing it right. Wow. Ouch. What I would, what I would say to pastors is let this conflict be a, an alarm clock and a wake up call that Israel is not a neutral issue. It's something that you have to engage with at some point. You have to thoughtfully engage. So I think what we're seeing in this conflict is a, it's a wake up call on three levels. One level is suffering of the Jewish people and the threat that they're constantly under global anti-Semitism and localized terror. And the second layer of wake up we're seeing is what I would call the rage of the nations. In that phrase out of Psalm 2, the nations are raging because in response to the Jewish people being attacked, somehow there is this uprising in the nations that are condemning and blaming Israel for being attacked. So there's that second layer. Then the third layer is what you just described. It's the it's the paralysis within the church where a lot of leaders are suddenly confronted with a conflict. And it could be that some Christian pastors have a strong stand on Israel and are afraid to be vocal about it. I think what's more likely is that it's out of sight, out of mind. It's been easy to ignore for years, and they have not gotten settled within themselves about where they stand regarding Israel. And so the reason why a lot of leaders may not be engaging is because they legitimately don't know what to say. Okay. They do not know, for, for example, the history of Israel. They don't know the history of Gaza. They don't know the terminology of Hamas, Gaza, Palestinian, Palestinian Authority. All of those are very specific and nuanced terms. And so as a leader, when you're not sure even how to discern the situation, you are much less likely to vocally engage because you may say something that's uninformed and you may not say the right thing. So I think a lot of Christian leaders are met with a dilemma right now that they want to say the right thing, but it's like what I would call the Vietnam effect. One of the reasons why America suffered so much during Vietnam is because we were training our troops as the war was breaking out. And we were sending 18-year-olds to Vietnam, having only two weeks of training, and they came back with terrible trauma. And it's like this war's broken out, and as Christian leaders, we're, trying, we're suddenly trying to scramble with people like, hey, here's what Israel is. And it's people are not able to engage meaningfully because there's not been the backstory of heart connection. Yeah, and I almost to add to that, just like, I think, I think the last three years in general, yeah. across around the world has been a giant magnifying glass on the church. That's right. All I three years. Well, what, what, what am I pandemic? Since the pandemic is the only grown into a pandemic and the effects of it on the church specifically, I think it's been a massive magnifying glass to 
expose the fact that neutrality in and of itself is demonic in nature. I believe that. If you don't know what you believe on certain things, you need to get to know what you believe. If you're just going to stay neutral because of ignorance and you're going to allow yourself to be uneducated and let yourself stay that way uh, as an excuse not to speak out, not to speak truth, not to speak biblical truth or what really matters. I think that's been the biggest, the greatest demon of the last three years. It's just, it's okay. Be neutral. Be in the name of being a bridge builder. Be neutral on important topics. So I think, you know, all the stuff's happened since 2020 leading up now to this, to me has been like the a massive tipping point and a massive pendulum swing. And I believe that God is redemptive. You believe he's redemptive. This is not God's heart that it's happening this way. I don't believe death in any way is ever the best option. Um, but at the end of the day, I believe God's waking up his church. I believe we're in a John 11, 11 moment. Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. He said, he's just sleeping. We're going to wake him up. I believe we're in that moment as a church. We're waking up to the things that matter to God. And Israel matters to God. Right. Jewish people matter to God. We've been waking up for three years. And I think there, there is going to come a time in this next season if people still choose, like at some point there is a choice to continue living in ignorance. And we're not so blind that we cannot see the value of knowing what we believe on very important topics as church leaders and pastors. There's coming a time where there is going to be a full-on shakedown of leadership and a fallout it's already beginning to happen fallout of leadership and you're saying it you said it earlier people are leaving churches why because we need leaders to stand up and know what they believe educate themselves in the things that matter show that we can move ahead as a culture and so i i, I just think that the last i think of the last three years i think it's been a passive magnifying love it's only going to get more magnified I, I said it all the time in the pandemic i said like or our culture, our community, the pandemic did not make anybody crazy. It just magnified the crazy that was already there. Yeah, that's right. So this war is just magnifying the cracks in all of our theological foundations. Yes. And it's showing and it's showing the fractures in our leaders across the world yes. of their fear of speaking out about the thing that really matters. Yeah. Right? yeah. And it's also exposing great and it's showing to your point of people who are leaving atmospheres that are not engaged in telling the truth and saying things of consequence. Um, what's also being exposed is that people didn't want what we were feeding or they thought they wanted what we were feeding them, but they're realizing now that they need something more real um, for a long time. Um, I, I can only speak to American church culture. It seemed like the hot topics that were going around is, you know, how to find the right person to date, make sure you're giving money to the church. And I, I don't know, you know, I, it just seemed like those were some of the larger narratives that were going around. Um, and there wasn't much talk of things of conviction. And the the church is supposed to be a place of conviction. It's supposed to be a place where um, we learn that our lives are not just about us. It's not just about what we can attain, but it, our lives are about who we're standing for, who we're standing with, who we're called to love, who we're called to engage with. And that love is not, you know, there's this beautiful scripture um, where Jesus is teaching 
And he says, it's, it's not enough to say, God bless you, be at peace. Whenever someone comes in, he says that they're in trouble, that we are, we're supposed to be the ones who are clothing, feeding, giving glasses of cold water to, to those who are in need, you know? And, and I think this was an awakening for many people to say, you know, I don't, I don't know how to respond or need it. I only know how to respond to my own needy and I need to go somewhere where my life is more significant than my bank account, my house, my kids. I, I think people are hungry for a life of greater significance. And so they're on a search for that significance that I believe is found biblically. And when we can, when we can come to a congregation, be it in a synagogue, be it in a church on a Sunday morning, we can come to a congregation and say, here's what's going on in Israel, and here's our response. And here's how we're supposed to stand as Christians. Here's what's going on in our neighborhood. Here's a, If we can speak that way, if, if we can say things, you know, I, I went to uh, a solidarity night with this local synagogue in um, my community, and I was very disappointed to be the only pastor there. Uh, and I have not immediately launched me into conversations with other pastors in my area saying, where are you? And, and it was some of what Micah said, it's some of uh, what Sean shared. Um, and it, it's just kind of this conglomerate of we either don't know what to say or we haven't talked about things that matter in so long that we're afraid to talk about it. And it, it started this larger conversation and um, I believe what we're seeing in our community um, are are people who are starting to feel that greater sense of I'm called to more, and so there's a greater sense of fulfillment in those people as well. That they're not just self-centered; they're looking at the world that God created, a nation that God deeply loves, and saying we have to do something. I mean, it's just, yeah, you know, I I'm I have like let me let me jump in, okay. Um, I, I wanted to say some things earlier. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of, it kind of slipped me, but I think the biggest problem that we have is um, the Torah. And we can carry it into the New Testament. The word of God, let's say that, brings conviction, mm. right? The church has become more culture defined than us redefining the culture. And so we're stuck in a zone where we're dominated by the culture, right? And we're trying to fish our way. Some people are trying to fish their way out. Some people are trying to go in. Uh, and some people are comfortable there because their, their little sermons don't include uh, what the scripture talks about a lot. The scripture talks about government. It talks about order. It talks about politics. It talks about all of these things. And that has become the no-go-to no zone for preachers. They're afraid of media. They're afraid of government. They're afraid to pick a side on political issues. Yeah. It's not a thing of picking a side. It's a thing of saying what the Word of God yeah. says. And once we get to a place where we say what the Word of God says, now we produce conviction. Conviction leads people to repentance or new direction, clear direction and change, right? And so until we do that, we are always going to go around this mulberry bush trying to figure out the next steps and, and this and that when it all, all it takes is let's get 
to the heart of God. What is the number one thing about his word? He is more concerned, his heart, he's more concerned about his word than he is about his name, right? So if his, his word is big, it is there to change us, to transform us, right? Um, and so what we have become is a people who are infected by the culture. And now the culture tells us what it wants. And we acquiesce to the culture instead of demanding that the word, the word of God is never going to be comfortable while we're messed up. It is supposed to offend. And that's to off-end you from the train that you're on. Let's get off-ended so we can get on track, right? And so until we come to this point to where the word of God means more than our very life, then we, we're in trouble. That's very powerful. That be it Jew, be it uh, believer, Christian, wherever we are, if the word is not supreme, then we are off kilter. We can't have a relationship until, see, my word is my bond, right? If I give you my word, you, you lean better on my word than a piece of paper. Right. That's if you know I have character, but I only develop character because the history says my word is good. Right. His word is good. And so we need to ride off of that. We need to ride off the conviction of his word. We need to stand on that. We need to fight with that. It's it's, it's more than guns and, and, and missiles that we better use them right now. But, you know, um, the word of God is what's keeping Israel. Yes, it is. The word of God is what's keeping the Jewish people. The word of God is what's keeping the lost tribes, the, the many uh, in Zambia. All the, mm. the word of God is keeping us, whether we be in America or here. It's the word. Thank you. Uh, you're, I'm not surprised being around five incredible pastors that you're inspiring me as much as you are and that we're talking about the word of God. And, and, and that's something that you've now help me direct where I want to maybe begin to end up this conversation. Not yet. Um, if you have the energy, I'd like to sit and talk a little bit more. Um, Juan, I know you wanted to jump in, but I also want to be, you're going to be my next cliffhanger. And then we're going to, we're going to come right back. I want to pause on the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 foundation this year. We have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed, keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill. They are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. Okay, we were talking, Juan, before Dwayne was with so powerful words uh, about what to say to the pastors and why they're not getting it. I don't know if that's where you wanted to go or a different direction. I mean, I, yeah, I, 
you know, when it comes to the war, you know, the, the reason earlier on the podcast, I made a statement that I know God is real. Yeah. Because the, the Jews and the, the nation of Israel exists. I mean, I, that's not, you know, I, when, when October 7th happened, my daily Bible reading, I was in Ezekiel. And um, I'm in a new Bible. So all I'm doing right now, I'm not writing in it, but I'm highlighting it right now. That first go around. Just finished up, right? First go around. And what I highlighted in Ezekiel over and over and over again, almost every chapter is, then you will know. Says it a different way. Then you get, you know, you to say, then you will know that I am God, or then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. It was as if God was telling the nations and Israel, uh, this is how you will know that I'm God. And when you read the entire book of Ezekiel, you know, first of all, you know, uh, is Israel a perfect government? No. But I don't know of anyone that has taken Israel to the woodshed more and with greater of a lapsing than God himself. You read the prophets. It, God lets Israel have a time and time again, historically, and all of that. But God in his word says to me, this is how you will know one that I am the Lord thy God. So good. Israel. I wanted to share something because actually I wanted to get into, this is my next question about scripture, but I mentioned, I, I don't while we're recording or before, but last week was my son's 25th birthday. And he celebrated it in Gaza. Now we happen to find out then the next day, one of the men in his unit got out for a period and texted my daughter-in-law and said that they actually did something Thursday night to celebrate his birthday, which he probably didn't want because he doesn't like people knowing that's his birthday, which he gets for me, but right. But, uh, but I'm glad he had that experience and it's terribly unnerving, but it was not only his his birthday, it means it was his bar mitzvah Torah portion from 12 years earlier. What are we reading about? We're reading about Joseph being sold into slavery. And I'm 58. I've gone through a number of annual cycles of reading the Torah. This is the first year that I looked at it through Jacob's eyes. Jacob, in that, in that portion, is a supporting character. I'm going to cry. What's the scripture? We've talked about Ezekiel. We've talked about uh, John, I brought up, John 10, John 11, 11, Psalm 2. What's the scripture, the most significant scripture at this time that's something that you've looked at differently? That's a great question. I wish I had my Bible with it in reach. Um, I've been reading this scripture out of Zephaniah, and it, it's really been gripping me. And... Um, Maybe I'll come back to it. Some little folks has shares there for I don't so the 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 psalm I'd be reading praying every morning is Psalm eighty three. Psalm eighty three. And um and so I guess it stands out to me because um you know, it's I'm here in the land. Um I've got names of friends in Israel whose children are in are in the war right now, are engaged. And I'm praying for those names specifically. Um, you know, Psalms 83 says about the enemies of God, may they be like like Midian. You know, it's the story of Gideon, the story of uh, you know, Deborah, Barak, and Jael, Job the Tete, uh, the head of 
you know, just it's all it's all around. So that's the one that stands out to me because I'm reading it every single morning. I haven't read it in Jerusalem yet, but I'll be reading it tomorrow morning as I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And, and I'm really looking forward to engaging God here in land in that scripture. Okay. okay. I think for me, um, you know, our church is working to build um, a really strong prayer culture. Um, we hope to one day have 24-7 prayer and worship going on at our wow. church. We, right now we sit about 16 hours a week corporate prayer. And um, so a scripture that I'm constantly drawn back to is Isaiah 62. And um, particularly, I, I mean, I'll read through verse one, but verse two has really been striking me recently. Uh, verse one says, for Zion's sake, I will not sound it. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn her salvation like a blazing torch. And then in verse two, it says that nations will see your vindication uh, and all kings, your glory. And that, that has been, that, that's been hitting me in a, in a much more profound way. Um, because when I came to Jerusalem, I was just experiencing to me, glory, startup nation, garden in the wilderness type, you know, we're just driving through Galilee. Like what on earth are these plants doing growing here in such a yeah, desert arid region? Yeah. Um, and, and, but then to, to pray from Israel from that standpoint of seeing so much economic prosperity and, uh, so many beautiful things while here to then transition into we're Israel's is in the time of war. And Israel needs vindication. This is not just in a time of war. Israel is in a time where people are attacking her and, and, and speaking out against her. And so I think, um, you know, believing in the promises of God is just a major portion of who we are as Christians, as Jews. Um, and, and for me to take this, sometimes Christians like to take promises to the Jews and try and bend them into our own way. Um, but I think that this has just been a very real waking up every day and say, God, I thank you that the nations will see Israel's vindication. And even today, that that's what I prayed when I was at the Wailing Wall today. I just said, Lord, I desire for to see this scripture in my life, that the nations will see Israel's vindication. Amazing fun. I want to come back to that, but I think the two of you have not yet. Yeah, I, I would say like the the word like I didn't you know in August oh, I was no. I was flying back from Brazil and I was just asking the Lord what he what he was what he was focusing on this season, and he told me you're moving we're moving into a John eleven eleven season. I actually didn't remember what John eleven eleven was. I knew John eleven as a chapter was about the story of Lazarus. I didn't remember the verse eleven specifically very powerful, simple statement that Jesus makes. Lazarus is asleep. Let's go wake him up. Mm. And often what we think is dead in life, God, God looks at as simply asleep. And I believe God is waking up the church at this hour. He spoke to me. It was, a, it was a, also a personal word too, but often I'll get dualities to things God shares with me, but he said, he said, Sean, you're, you're asleep in your leadership. Wow. 
I felt the personal weight of that. What areas am I asleep in? Sometimes we don't know areas that we're asleep in. I think there's a lot of leaders listening to this podcast, potentially. Maybe you have some Christian leaders out there listening. They're like, hey, I've been asleep for this whole Israel thing. And this war is now waking me up. Because sometimes, unfortunately, crisis wakes people up out of their slumber. Right. Crisis wakes people up and it all exposes fractures in our foundation. It exposes weakness. It exposes where we're in lack. You know, and I, I would go as far to say, if I want to edit this off the podcast, but I, I I believe that God is rebuilding something so strategic in this season through this war. I don't know what it is that, that's going to come out of it at the end. I don't know how long this is going to be stretched for, but I believe, I believe God is is building something so significant. This is, I, I, would share, I haven't shared this publicly for a very long time. But on the way here, I was I was praying that in the plane, God like to show me, show me something, and He reminded me of a very specific word back in 2009 on the week, on the weekend that Michael Jackson died. Yeah, known as the King of Pop. On the weekend, on the day Michael Jackson died, I I had this um, this guy walks into, I was in my in my office for a conference that we were hosting, hosting this big conference. Random guy walks into the in my office out of nowhere and opens the door and says, Foundation stone will fall and walks away. I'm like, What's that? Foundation stone. We talked about it. I was like, absolutely weird. Didn't think anything of it. The next day, I was in prayer and God spoke to me. I, I heard I heard through his voice so clear. And this is why you might want to edit off the podcast. I don't know. No, the God speaks. And so he said, The dome of the rock will fall. And as I started to ponder that and think, what does that mean? That's a pretty heavy where the dome of the rock will fall. I realized that the foundation stone, after I dove into it, is the stone they call yeah, Solomon's stone, the thought that one stone, the cornerstone, that every other stone was set in reference to it, still sitting yes. at the center, at the bottom of the dome of the rock. And then also the fact that Michael Jackson died on that weekend. Uh, before he was about to start his Dome Project tour with 50 tour dates, speaking of Jubilee. And so I felt like in 2009, we were moving in the other church and as a, a collective, and that and this next decade, several decades, moving into a season where religious infrastructure that had been taking dominion in areas that it wasn't supposed to be taking dominion in, is going to fall. And I believe this war is the beginning stages of that tipping point. And there, I don't know what this looks like. And this is why I say like, you could test this way this, but as I'm here with you guys, I just feel to share this. Like, I feel like we are moving into a season like we've never moved into before. And both Jew and Christian alike are going to see things in this chapter, in this decade that we've never seen before. So then a prophecy, Fulfillment of things that we never saw we'd see in our lifetime is about to begin to happen. Things that are in dominion and in power that aren't supposed to be, that are literally on top of ruins. Ruins that God has established. In ancient times, there is an awakening happening. There is a rebuilding happening. There is a renewal happening. And we're going to see it. Something is happening. And I think out of this war, I'm looking saying, God, what are the redemptive eyes you want me to have? What's the redemptive eyes you need me to have so I can speak into this? Because I know that you're going to do something amazing 
at the end of days with this whole process. Well, I'm, I'm back to the uh, whole Lori thing. What did you say in in John 11? Well, 11, 11, yeah. he said, what did he say? He said, uh, this is for glory, so that the glory of the Lord would be revealed. Yeah. Right? So we, you know, David talked about the glory of the Lord in Psalms 72. And this is what the Lord kind of, well, he gave he put it on. He said, I will not shame you. So I preached that message. I will, God says, I will not shame you. And so when this began to occur, I heard him say, I will not shame Israel. And I will not. I will not shame my word. I will not shame my people. You get me? Um, there's a bigger picture to it for me. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a bigger scope. Um, and when he said that, he says, and I will get glory from this. When he talks about getting glory, it's not just some praising moment. It is really the development of something that goes out and shines to other, right? So um, the the whole scripture um, and for the for the Hebrew Jewish people is to uh, be the example of holiness that then causes people to say yes that is god that's yahweh that's yah that's that's him you get me so um and i believe that is the kind of glory back to what you're saying i mean, i love what you're saying because i don't think uh, jonathan has a problem with a prophetic moment um but um what we're saying what you're saying and what i uh, attest to what i feel is this is not the end. This is the beginning of something significant before the end. And I don't believe that this is going to be wiped away. I'm totally You're stirring my heart. Yeah. Totally certain that God's glory will be revealed. The Bible says the whole earth is full of his glory. Yeah. We're going to come back to that. This is something that you've inspired in me here today, and I'm grateful. Um, Micah, you had wanted to read the book first you were looking at. yeah just a just a handful of verses out of zephaniah um i think you know one of the other leaders here said wake up in the morning and pray in your devotional time all of a sudden scripture takes on a different lens with the awareness of the war in israel and here are these few verses out of zephaniah chapter 3 verse 16 in that day it shall be said to jerusalem do not fear zion let not your hands be weak the Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And this verse has particular resonance for us sitting here right now. Zephaniah 3.18, I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. So God is saying here in verse 18 that there will be non-Jews who carry sorrow about the condition of what the Jewish people are facing. And he's saying, I'm going to gather them together to you. Then what's the result? Just two more verses. Verse 19, Behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who are driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they, put, that, where they were put to shame. Last verse. At that time... I will bring you back 
even at the time I gather you. For I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. Right now we're wearing wristbands that say bring them home. And that's not just wishful thinking. They are standing on the promise of God that says, I will return your captives before your eyes. That's so good. That's so good. I, you know, I'm, I'm speechless. Let me throw this in here because I, that's some of the challenge that our Western-centric American gospel Christianity has. The, and again, one of the reasons um, Israel had a hard time receiving Messiah the first time Jesus. They were expecting a conquering military hero, a political hero, to overthrow the oppressive governments, the tyrants that were constantly doing what we see throughout history. But Jesus came, meek and mild, turning the other cheek, suffering servant. And I believe that Christians, in the same way, they're not careful. They're going to miss the second coming because they think he's going to come back as meek and mild, turn the other cheek. He's going to come back if we believe his word. Why is he coming back? Is he coming back to establish his kingdom in New York City or Tokyo or in London? Or... He's coming back to, to deal with the nations that have dealt wrongfully with his people Israel. Joel said, and by the way, they divided the land. That hasn't been made possible more than over seven before 1948. That scripture wasn't possible. Now it is for 75 years. That scripture has been possible. As people have been trying to divide the land, give them this much, concede this much. And so uh, Messiah, when he returns, he's coming to deal with the nations and how they treated Israel and the Jewish people. And, um, uh, you know, it's, you know, I, I don't want to miss when he comes. And me, uh, yeah, this is good. Let me toss this in here because this is the par paraphrase uh, and it's the message Bible. It's a paraphrase. So we can't hang our hats completely on it. But I want you to hear this. Verse 18, the accumulated sorrows of your exile will dissipate. I, your God, Adonai, will get rid of them for you. You've carried those burdens long enough. At the same time, I'll get rid of all those who've made your life miserable. Let's keep moving. That doesn't sound like turning the other cheek, does it? No. I'll heal the maimed. I'll bring home the homeless. And the very countries where they were hated, they will be venerated. On Judgment Day, I'll bring you back home a great family gathering. I, I, I love that. I, 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 I was familiar with the scriptures, so I was like, let me get to the message. Um, the, I love what you're saying. God is not a punk. Right? I know that sounds tough. You can X that out if you want to. No, no, that's but he's not, not getting X anything. Um, and what we have turned the gospel into is this love euphoria, which is the false definition of love. Mm. Because he chastens, the word chastening makes chaste, which is to chastise whom he loves. So even the people say Hamas. It, God loves all. He's not sitting there like, I hate you because of this. But he's not going to allow you to harm what he loves. Simply because you feel he loves you more. There will be chastisement. There will be chastening. 
there will be correction. And that's what we're going to see. We're about to see. I'm so convinced. We're about to see the love of God at a dimension we've never seen it before. And it's not going to always feel good. I think that goes back to what Sean was sharing. We're, we're uncomfortable with that side of God's love. We're uncomfortable with the side of God's love that says, now I'm not letting this happen. I'm going to step in and I'm going to use my power to make an adjustment to what's happening. You want to get real uncomfortable? How about Revelations 19? Jesus and the robes, drenched and stained with blood. Some people think that's his blood. It's not. It's the blood of his end. That's right. The enemies of Israel. His, his, his white robes are stained with blood as he tramples over the enemies. And taking that hard line again, Revelation 12. It's that Revelation 19 is Jesus's response to Revelation 12, which is yeah. Satan deceiving the nations of the earth to persecute Israel. Yep. To persecute the woman who is Israel in her seat. And so the, the, these are, the, this is what I taught uh, just a couple of weeks ago at our church. I'm saying, look guys, this is, this is, this is eschatology. This is apocalyptic text in real time. There's real life persecution of Israel. Jesus is family, God's covenant people. And there's a response to this. And we can either, we can, I think you mentioned it earlier, Paul. We can either be like the church in Germany who sang a, a little bit louder, preached a little bit louder to, to, cover up the streams of train words of people being taken away to concentration camps, or we can join everyone with Isaiah 62 and for Zion's sake. The, the simplicity of it is, and, and all of this is correct. Everything is correct. The simplicity of it is saying what he says. Yes. Come on. That's the simplicity of it. We don't have to become uh major Israelite, theologians we just need to repeat yeah. his heart and 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 that will include like for me that will include black people perhaps you know descendants of slaves that will include jewish people that will include irish people that came you know it will include if we do what he said and read what he said i mean study his heart we shift everything. Um, this is one of those great conversations. First of all, I love that you're engaging. I should have said that at the outset. I wanted you to do that. And that it's happening spontaneously. And it's not an interaction with Jonathan prompting you with each question. So I'm grateful for that. And I don't want this to end. So we're going to have to do a round two um, by Zoom when you're back in your communities, if you'll, if you'll allow. Because I like to dig in and hear about the experiences more. I want to take a quick break. And then we're going to begin to wrap up with two kind of global issues that I'd love for you to address. The restoration of Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel was an earth-shattering event. For Christians, it was a confirmation that God always keeps his covenantal promises. Today, we are blessed to see God's fingerprints in the modern miracle of the land of Israel playing out in our lives among the people and in the state of Israel. This year, on the occasion of Israel's 75th anniversary, 
the Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation has been privileged to bring together 75 Christian leaders from around the world to lend their unique voices, sharing their personal faith experiences relating to Israel and their in-depth insight into Israel's history and spiritual significance, creating an historical, one-of-a-kind, high-end coffee table book, Israel the Miracle. Israel the Miracle's stunning imagery will fill your home with the hope of fulfilled promises and conversations about Israel. It's a perfect gift to anyone for any occasion, and most of all, to yourself. You'll also be a blessing to Israel, knowing that the proceeds will go to blessed Israelis of all backgrounds. Be a part of Israel the Miracle and bring the land, the people, and the state of Israel into your heart and into your home. Visit IsraelTheMiracle.com to get your limited edition copy today. Okay. Um, we've spoken a lot, and you all inspired me. Dwayne, you said it, I think, at least twice, that God, that God is going to get the glory from this. I've lost count since October 8th, how many interviews I've done, how many prayer meetings I've been on with Christians from all over the world, um, briefings that I've hosted. And I remember which one, I'm 99% sure, one of the early ones. I had, uh, hosted a, a bunch, I hosted, they hosted me, a bunch of Foursquare pastors. And someone asked the question, Where it was early on, it was too early. Where do I see God's hand in all of this? That's real hard. But I started making a list. I love for any of you, we've talked about it, and, and you've all really, so without being redundant, maybe let's bring it more. Bring, let's show God's glory right now in this audio podcast. Where, where else are we seeing God's hand in, in all of this that's taking place that you're here in the midst of, right? I think one of the simplest ones that I saw, I sent it out on our group text, this will be very brief. Um, I was in the car on the way to the airport. And I just asked God, I said, God, from the beginning of this trip, would you make it abundantly clear that I'm going to do what you want me to do? And I get, um, get to the airport, board my plane, and the first thing that I see is a flight attendant wearing the Star of David around her neck. And I, I was on the phone with a friend of mine. I said, I got to go. I'll, I'll call you back in just a little bit. And I looked at her, I said, are, are you Jewish? She, she, she said, yes, I am. And I said, I just want to let you know, I'm on the way to a solidarity trip right now to Israel. And I, it's important for me to you, for, for me that you know that Christians all over the world are praying for you and we stand with Israel. She just broke and started to cry. And, she, you know, this is a simple one, a simple one. This isn't, you know, bomb stopping or anything, but it's just, she, she just began to cry and she said, I can't tell you. I think simply, I think when you have your, when something happens, like crisis has a way of pulling your friends in. I think crisis has a way of exposing who are new friends. Mm. I think crisis has a way of exposing, like we talked about neutrality, where, you know, you just, just realize they don't know what they believe. And hopefully they end up knowing what they believe at the end of the day. I think how I see God's hand is that there are more eyes on Israel like that than there were before. And so that 
even as a stepping stone in the right direction, believing that mm. friends will rise, friends will wake up from their sleep. I keep going back to John 11, 11. Friends will awake from their slumber. Um, the church will wake up again and see what they need to see the way they need to see it. Um, and, and, and those that maybe have decided not to see it, turn a blind eye to it, then they'll go down their own path and who knows what's going to happen to them. But all that to say is I think the more eyes that are on a situation, the more potential for good amount of it. As the token Jew in the room who doesn't know John 11, 11, or didn't know before today, um, I'm grateful for that. But what you, when you originally quoted the scripture, it's an active scripture. Someone has to go wake him. Mm-hmm. Not that he's going to awaken. So what you just said is that people will awaken, but someone needs to do the awakening. This is what I believe. It was God in Jesus who woke up Lazarus. Okay. Right. Hold him out of the tomb. They first had to move the stone away. You can't, you can't get out of your slumber. You can get out of it, but you have nowhere to go. Right. And there are stones, there are blocks, there are blinders, there are blockages in our life, little stones in our life that are stopping us from coming out once we wake up. But at the end of the day, the source of it all is him. And he's waking up people. He's waking up church. He's waking up. I believe both Jew and Christian alike, he's waking us up to see things different. But when we wake up, we need to realize that, hey, we're going to have to move some stuff out of the way. And it may not be pretty. I mean, when Lazarus came into the tomb, it stunk. The whole premise was, why would you do it, Jesus? In four days, it stinks in there. The decomposition has already begun of the body. Like, it stinks. Well, I think as things begin to shift, it may not be prim and proper. Church may not have it all together. They may not have the language. They may not have the theology. They may not understand everything. But I do believe that it's what God wants. And I believe that God will die right. and direct. Right. And I've got three daughters, um, and when they were little, and I, I want, I, I needed to say something very important to them. I needed to get their attention, and I would say, "Look me in the eye." Mm-hmm. God says in Zechariah two eight that Israel is the apple of God's eye. I think mm-hmm. God is telling the world, "Look me in the eye." In terms of experiencing miracles in this moment, Lord. Um, very well-known philosopher, Jewish scholar, uh, New Ages, Moses Maimonides said, the last person to recognize a miracle is the person that it's happened. <laughs> this moment right now is miraculous. We don't recognize it because it's happening to us. And I, I don't know that I'm seeking for the miracle or I, I'm just, I'm seeking God's heart. I'm paying attention when he says, look in my eye. And I think, you know, when we look back on this time, we will see the miracles that happened that we weren't aware of because we were right in the middle of it. And uh, we weren't aware because it was happening. Uh, Where there's no victory, there cannot be a battle. I mean, where there's no battle, there can't be a victory. There's got to be an offense in order for something to show itself victorious, right? Where there's no crisis, there's no opportunity. So when when you ask what 
where am I seeing the glory of God? Uh, I think it's been mentioned several times. The crisis is thing has exposed a lot. We had, uh, in America back home, um, we had an election in 2020, in 2020, and there was this battle that was just kind of insane, right? Because it was the Trump and the Biden battle, and everybody was just tired of the Trump noise, right? Just we're tired of the Trump noise, and Biden's going to come and quiet it down. But now everybody would rather have the tweets <laughs> and a better economy. You get me? Some things have to be revealed. And I'm not, I'm not trying to get political. Some things have to be revealed so you can see it wasn't so bad over here. Or that was a good thing. Or there's exposure to this issue. That's one of the things that I'm seeing with this, this here battle. Um, it's forcing the converse, conversation. It's going to force people to their Bible or force them away. It's like the wheat and the tares and growing together. And uh, they're going to be separated at the end. Right. And then there's little things I hear and things I pray for, like jam up the, the machine, the, 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 uh, the weapon, jam up the yeah. weapon. Um, um, when we were flying over, I'm thinking like, you know, you know how to, you will have a thought in your head, like, what if they shoot one of the missiles up there while we trying to land? And uh, and all it, today, one of the miracles that God gets glory for is He allowed us to get here this morning, um, so I could sit here with Jonathan. Um, there's another one. I got on like the, we were on the bus today, and Shlomo says, out of all the shootings, all the missiles and everything that were shot, none of them. They only come around the perimeter of Jerusalem, but can't get to Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So it's like, and he said, Jerusalem is the safest place to be right now. And, and it wasn't that he was implicating that it's the military. It was implicating God's hand. God's hand. See, those are the things that make me look at the fact that his glory is being revealed. And, and, and the comeback, you know, the comeback. Uh, is going to be significant and great. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Well, just very, very quickly, I think where, where I'm seeing the glory of God, this conflict is in the anticipation of what's to come. I feel there is a, uh, a renewed and blossoming friendship between Jews and Christians. Yeah. That um, is trajectory changing, both for the church and for Israel. And so um, it that just sort of summarizes what I think each of us have said. There's an awakening and exposing that it's all of these things, but there's the anticipation that from the difficulty of this war, beautiful things are going to come that will positively shape the nations. I agree. I agree with you. And in an article, I'm confused about which article I just wrote, but. My my very strong belief is that we're seeing a historic level of support for Israel and the Jewish people from Christians, not in 75 years, but in 2,000 years, since the beginning of the church. Yeah. Uh, and that was an article I think I just submitted today. I don't know. I can't keep up. Um, but you just began to direct me where I wanted to wrap this up. Um, you also 
Uh, we're talking about the flight attendant that you spoke to. You're here in Jerusalem. You're going to be meeting and interacting with Israeli Jews. And at home in your own communities, you have friends who are rabbis that you've had coffee with or texting and, and all these. What do you want Jews who are listening, whether they're in Atlanta or in Youngstown or in Canada or in Manchester or here in Israel, to know about you being here and about why you're here? What do we need to hear from you? We're with you. I mean, that, that I think that that's the overarching, one of, one of the overarching desires in this trip is not to just say, um, I brought up the scripture earlier where it's not enough whenever your brother is in trouble to say, God bless you, be at peace. Uh, we, we've got to get in it with people. Um, if, if we truly are about standing with Israel, uh, and that's not to say that every Christian has to come up and get through the thing like that, but our heart as leaders, they should right have the curve at this moment. That, 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 yes, <laughs> not. Um, but to say that Christian leaders, um, a very active way in that we can not just say it, show it. You know, express love is better than spoken. And so this is our expressed love for the people of Israel to say, we're not just going to talk about standing with you. We're going to come in the bad times when you are at war and we're going to love you. Yeah, I mean, I echo that. You know, I, you know, as a believer in Jesus, you know, we, we believe that we share a blessing, the Abrahamic covenant. So we stand... We stand for everything that that God has promised the Jews. You know, we we feel we are absolutely connected to all of that, and they're, they're you know, God's people are our people. And why um, is to know that we're standing, we're here. I think being here hopefully is a little bit of a statement that we do care. I know Juan said it earlier. It's about like coming at a time like I have four kids. You know, some of them are younger, some of them are a little older. Um, but like Madeline were really at first excited for their dad to leave. And right. My wife was like unsure, you know, like, well, what's going on? What are you guys going to be like? What's happening? Because, you know, you just, you just see the news, right? And I had fed my kids. They saw on everything. Like, so I was like, those, those, that can not rewind. It, that was their all seeds that their mind. So when I said I was going, all they thought was like, oh, I'm going to die. Right. It's all they could think of initially, at least some of them, anyways. But we had to process it and like you know my kids i feel like my kids can say without language i stand with they can stand with israel because they said their dad their dad yeah staring out of war like one of my my kids wept as i left the my my the door and he still wept all the way to the airport and he called me because he was just weeping because he's just flooded with fear and what ifs what if, what if, what if? And I think at the end of the day, you know, like they, they get a big win is the families that released us be here on the ground. I think there's a great reward for them. Recognizing that you have one of our bracelets in front of you. I want everyone, I gave you each one when you came here. I want you to each take for your family members. And then I want a picture. So, because we've been selling them on the website. I want a picture when you all get home. I want you and your family 
to to know that we appreciate that and the solidarity that you're showing. Awesome. Um, what else did the Jewish people need to do? Jonathan, I, to the Jewish listeners, I would say, um, you know, when I think about the 30s and 40s, um, you know, back then, if I was alive, I probably, he probably would have needed me to hide you somewhere. And I know you don't need that today. You just need me to stop hiding. Well, and you need us to stop hiding, speak out. And, and this, this is my family. My family and I, we stand with you. I don't, I know what it meant in history, what that meant. And I don't know what it means today, but we didn't make this decision October 7th. We made this decision a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And so I would just say that we're going to stand. And then the second thing I would say is Exodus 15, 2 says, the Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. Isaiah 12, 2, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah the Lord is my strength and song. He has he also has become my salvation. I just I would encourage you, if you haven't already, turn to God. He is your salvation. America is not your salvation. Evangelical Christians aren't your salvation. God is your salvation. If you haven't turned to God, turn to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Turn to your father's God and make him your God. He will become your song of praise. He will become your joy. He will become your salvation. All Jews needed to hear a word from a pastor, that word. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, what, what did Jews, what would we want Jewish people to hear from our presence being here? Again, it's already been said, the love, the support, solidarity. But also, I just want to read one scripture from Isaiah 49, 22, because you know, as Christians, when we look at the Jewish people, we see the word of God being fulfilled, regathering to the land, the reestablishment of the state of Israel. But I would also encourage Jewish people that when they look at us, Gentiles supporting them, that they would also see scripture being fulfilled. Yeah. So here's an example. Great. Isaiah 49, 22, God speaking to Israel, he says, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'll lift up my hand and an oath to the nations, and I'll set up my standard for the peoples. So when God does this, here is the nation's response to Israel. They shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. And the idea is that the nations so love the God of Israel and the Israel of God that they mobilize on behalf of the sons and daughters of the Jewish people. And that's what I would want one of the things I would want the Jewish people to see is God at work in our love to the Jewish people. It's very important because we've spent too many millennia, unfortunately, circling the wagon. Right. And I've always advocated in building bridges that it has to be two ways, and we need to widen the circle. Um, Jonathan, first of all, um, thank you for the opportunity to be on this podcast. You know, very honored and privileged, and I think we all are. But um, there are a couple of things that I, I, I wrote, um, and everybody's been talking about their daughters and their children. My daughter, she's grown. I'm 57, and you got me by a year, I guess. And um, when I was telling her, I say, 
I'm leaving to run Israel. She said, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, Israel. And so I said, yeah. So she said, wait a minute, Papa. That's what she called. Are you sure? I said, yes. She said, well, all right, enjoy yourself. That God must be with you. Wow. Because she never doubts. Correct. And so she sent me reluctantly with a blessing, right? And she called her daughter, my granddaughter. And it was very, very exciting to know how to trust the fact that the Lord is with you, right? And so I think that's the one thing I want you to hear. No matter what, the Lord is with you. Number two, um, Cameron said it very we're, we're with you. Um, from the angle that we're, where we are right now, at this attack, it's this portion of Israel. And then I wrote something else down here. Um, I, I want the Jewish people to stand with us as well. Yes. Right? I mean, we've taken the position, we're with you, we're with you. But let us stand together, right? And then um, the other part is don't let the propaganda the propaganda sound louder than the ignored. So it would be people like us who are ignored by the media. Mm -hmm. Don't let those that get the media vision make you nervous and think that the whole world is against you because they got the microphone. And the last thing that I want to say is we love him. We love him. It's impossible for us to be carriers of the word of the Lord and not love the people the way the Lord loved the people. Very powerful and hard to follow with any words, but thank you. Um, gentlemen, I, we really could go on. And I entered this room with five complete strangers, and I feel like we're finishing with five really close new friends, uh, old friends, because the relationship goes back long before we walked into this room. Uh, I'm super grateful. Uh, didn't know where this was going to go. From my perspective, in two and a half years of podcast hosting, this is top 10. And I just pray that everyone will yeah. will listen to it and share it because it's important. Um, we're going to wrap up with a typical, for, by thanks, profound thanks to each of you. And I always used to say at the end of the podcast that if you stayed with us this long, you deserve a reward. We've got it to overtime for sure. Um, the reward is definitely this conversation, but we're encouraging people to like and share this. And we do that through an incentive that we call from Jonathan's bookshelf. And you don't know this, but people have been following the podcast know that this year we released a book called Israel the Miracle. Unfortunately, I did not bring one in my bag, but I'm going to get you one because I want you to take that home as a gift as well. Um, it's a compilation of essays by 75 Christian leaders from all around the world about why Israel is significant. And God put that on my heart November a year ago uh, just to celebrate the 75th anniversary. And it got delayed because we printed it here in Israel. And it's now arrived in our fulfillment center in Oklahoma and it's now begun to be shipped out and it will be in people's homes for Christmas and thank God for that 
um, and one of the 75 authors. Of course, we couldn't publish a book like, like this without including Bishop Robert Stearns, who, who also had some powerful words. So we want to encourage everyone listening to like and follow Inspiration from Zion and all of the social media. And when you comment and share, we just pick one person at random every month who's going to receive a free copy to bless your homes. And we like people to do that. We're always grateful that this podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. And if you're ever in the area, please pop in and thank them for helping make conversations like this possible. And also special thanks to the Coin family for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are all made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue dialogues like this and build the bridges. This week's podcast, I'm sorry to say, is in memory, dedicated in memory of Lynn Hilton. Some of you know of the incredible ministry, Iovel. Uh, Lynn passed away this past week. She's part of the extended Hilton and Waller family and all of Iovel. And as my condolence and words of comfort and honor of Lynn, who was a warrior here, bringing Christians to plant the land and work the land and connect with the land, um, it's really a privilege to be able to dedicate this in her memory. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion, please be in touch at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. As always, we love to hear your comments and questions as part of a dialogue and invite you to send any comments and questions, especially about traditional Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are safe and healthy, and I send my blessings right here in Jerusalem, the undivided capital of the Jewish people in the state of Israel. God bless you. Yeah, I must say, yeah.